Thank you, choir. Thank you, Jason, Pam, for leading us in the worship this morning. I love to see a bunch of children in church, don't you? Isn't that exciting? Amen. I love the sound of children as well, if you want to know my opinion about it. The sound of children in church is a, a good sound. Silence is a not good sound. Let me share with you one thing I forgot this morning in the small groups or in the announcements was about small groups. Um, we met Monday night. Several people interested in leading and being in small groups met this past Monday night and discussed some things. I laid out some curriculum, uh, some guidance on small groups. And so be praying about small groups. If you are interested in being in a small group, uh, you know, want to be in one, not be in one, let me know. But there is a sign-up sheet on a clipboard right there going out the door. If you could sign up, we're going to start, these groups are going to start the week of April 10th, which is right after Easter. They're going to start, they're individual, they're, they're uh, group-based. And they're not always going to be on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It's going to be a flexible schedule. There'll be, all the groups are flexible. All the times are flexible. Uh, it's not required that you have to make every single meeting, so don't, don't think it's just that kind of a commitment. It is a commitment to want to grow and in in, uh, learn about the Lord, but it's a flexible schedule. And so we'll start the week of April 10th. I'd love to get everybody signed up that wants to participate by the 1st of April so that we can get the groups set up and make sure that we're ready to go by April 10th. All right? Amen? Amen. All right. Be praying about that. And so let's move in our, our time this morning. So... Sometimes pastors preach a series of sermons out of the same scripture, out of the same book of the Bible, or the same theme. A lot of times they do series of messages. God lays series on pastors just like he lays individual messages on them. So some, sometimes you'll tie some things together. And so we, I preached a past scripture last week, and then when I was studying that passage, there was so much information in there. There was so many truths in there. There was so much valuable information in there. I preached a specific section of the scripture last week. And so this week, we're going to look at some of that same scripture. I went from Matthew to Mark and looked at it in Mark. And I'm going to preach out of Mark this week. But but we're going to back up just a little bit because it all ties together. And so you just kind of work with me this morning. You know, the title of the message, and I sent this out to you in an email, is Suffering transformed into glory, suffering transformed into glory. And that's a specific issue. That's a specific truth that God's word shows us where suffering transforms into glory. And we're going to look at that this morning. We'll be in Mark chapter 8 uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do. And, and basically just three verses of Scripture, 31, 32, and 33 is where we'll be this morning. So last week we opened up God's Word together, and we studied a passage of Scripture where Jesus gave some specific instructions about the cost of following Him, about the significant importance of following Him, the things that were required for every believer. And you know throughout His ministry, He gave us instructions. He told us how to follow. He told us um, how to, to witness to people. He told us how to minister people. He taught us how to pray. He gave a lot of specific instructions, but in this passage, we looked at three specific requirements that he gave to his followers, and this is briefly right before he's going to go to the cross. He basically said, you got to deny yourself. you got to take up what? Take up your cross, and then what? 
follow me. He gave us specific instructions, and we've talked about follow me. We've talked about those two words. You know, we talked about how Jesus would speak to people and, and call them, and he would just say, follow me. Maybe not say nothing else about what he was doing, but just look into their eyes and say, follow me, and people would respond to what he was saying. Some were hesitant to start with. I mean, you take, you take people like Peter who had to have a real good visual explanation about why he should follow him, but when it was put in front of him, he followed him. You take people like Matthew, Matthew, when Jesus just looked in his eyes and said, follow me, Matthew steps out of the tax collector's booth and follows Jesus. But he, they used those words specifically, and he gave us some important things. He asked the disciples, and you reflect back to last week, he asked the disciples some comparison questions. And he asked some things that were important to his understanding of what people, who people thought he was, to the general population, who the, the outlying people, who did they think I am? Who did they say that I am? And then he used that same comparison question, and he looked straight at the disciples. And he said, but who do you say I am? Because there's a distinct difference about this, this issue, and I, we shared this last week. It is important you know, for people to know who Jesus is. But it is very important for followers to know who he is. It's very important for the followers of Jesus Christ to know why he came and what his mission on this earth was for. That was, a, that was the reason that he was here, for, for, was to fulfill God's will. And so for followers, it is important that we understand exactly what Jesus came to this world for. And we talked about that on Wednesday nights. We've talked about that. We talked about God's will. We talked about the will for our lives and the things that God wills for our lives. And we want to understand exactly because God had a will for Jesus Christ's earthly ministry and his life. God, God willed that his son would come for us. And we know the reason that Jesus came was to fulfill God's will. But further than that, it was to be a sacrifice for you and me. It was to be a sacrifice for all mankind. And let me tell you something, Easter's coming. And, and there's some significance about Easter being about all about the resurrection. But there is some things that take place between now and, and these last, the last week of Jesus' life, the, the last days of his life up until the cross. There's some significant things that take place before the resurrection. We're going to talk about some of those, and, and some of that's going to be in that this afternoon. If you'll hang around for that, that focus of the middle cross, I'm going to share with you some pretty significant things about that, the final time of Jesus' life on this earth. But there's a lot of things that take place. But when Jesus asked the disciples who people thought he was, was correction when he asked the congregation or he asked the disciples who do people say that i am let me get it right here what did they tell him who did they say he was anybody one of the old testament prophets who did they say elijah they said you're john the baptist i mean they had all kinds of ideas about who he was and and who he, who had come back but not one of them said he was the messiah but when jesus asked the disciples who he said he was what what did they say he was you're God's Messiah. And who, who said it? Who stepped up and said it right off the bat? Peter. Peter says, hey, you're God's Messiah, not just the Messiah. You're God's Messiah. You're the one that God has sent to our earth. You're the one that we've been waiting for decades to see. You're God's Messiah. Peter jumped up. Now, let's think. This is what's important about this passage of Scripture. Peter's response, when we back up and give you a little history on it, but Peter immediately stepped up and said, you're God's Messiah. We know who you are. 
We've been following you for three years. We've seen the miracles that you performed. We know who you are. We trust in who you are. So understand this. They are expressing their faith in Jesus Christ right then. They're saying, we trust you. We have faith in you. And so you think about this is Peter's, Peter's the the spokesman seems like for all all the disciples. But but they said, we know who you are. You're the one we've been waiting for. So now we look at this. They're confirming their faith. and, And now once they do that, Jesus proceeds to share with them the purpose and the reason he came. He was going with them to Jerusalem, but he was going to be crucified on the cross in that particular time. Now you think about it. This is the first announcement. Now Jesus gives this announcement on three separate occasions throughout the Bible and throughout Scripture. We can see that. But this is the first time, and so you've got to understand it. He's telling the disciples. He's been teaching them all kinds of things, all right? And they come up to this and who do people say I am? Well, you're the Messiah. Well, now, sit tight because I've got something I've got to tell you now. I'm going with you to Jerusalem, but I'm going to die there. The end of my physical life is going to end in Jerusalem. And so you think about that. So if you're able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning? We'll be in Mark chapter 8, just three verses starting in verse 31 through 33. Mark records it this way. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross. God, I ask that you allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Three verses of scripture rich in information that God wants to share with us this morning. I'm pretty sure that this announcement that Jesus shared with these disciples caught them off guard. I'm pretty sure, and, and a lot of, of understanding about the Scriptures is, is the way we talk about Scripture and how I've taught you on Sunday nights to, to break Scripture down and to look at it, and you want to understand it. But I'm pretty sure that this was not what the disciples were expecting. This is not what they wanted to hear, not what they were expecting. Jesus had never said this before. This was a, a kind of a off-the-wall kind of thing, but I'm pretty sure it caught them off guard. Of all the things that they had been listening to, of all the things that he has taught them, of all the things that he had been training them to do, this was not what they were expecting. Now, when we look at the Scripture, Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things. The Son of Man must suffer many things. And you wonder, well, what does that mean? Do you know what the Son of Man means? And when we looked at that, and Patty and I discussed this as well, but Son of Man is a title that Jesus referred to himself 80 plus times throughout his ministry. It's a title that he referred to himself. It's it's a title that shows his humanity. It's a title that shows that he was human, but it does not deny his deity. He would suffer many things. When you think about suffering, what did Jesus suffer many things? Let's start with the the easy things and move to the significant things. Humiliation was something that he was going to suffer through. None of us want to be humiliated, amen? 
Humiliation was something he suffered through. He was spit on. He was tried as a criminal. You, you think about it. Someone on trial that's innocent. Man, how humiliating is that to be accused of something that you did not do? He was spit on. He was nailed to the cross. He was hung on a cross, just like all the other criminals that had been crucified before him. He's something he did not do. And here's, here's something significant. You think about this. Let's look at this closely now. He had to endure the pain of the flesh being ripped from his body. Kira, that's a little bit strong for me this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's think about this. Jesus was beaten with a whip, a leather whip that had broken bones attached to the end of it. It had sharp metal objects attached to the end of it. The intention of the whip was to, to totally beat the person senseless. Let me tell you, a lot of people did not survive the beatings to even get to the cross because it was so severe. But there's, a, there's something about this one here. Jesus is going to be crucified on a cross. This is God's will. This is God's plan. Jesus is not going to die from a whipping, but he took a significant beating from this whipping. You think about the humiliation that went with that, the leather whipping that he took, the thorns pressed down on his head, denied the basic element of water. And he said, I thirst. He was not even given anything to drink, just a basic element of water. Here's something even more significant. Jesus' body was broken on the cross, but his bones were not broken. But his body was broken for us. And when I look at this, I see his heart was broken as well. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You think about this. Jesus' heart was broken for the people that he had created. He's created. What did he create them for? What did Jesus create us for? To worship him. To, to have fellowship with him, to glorify him, not to crucify him. He had a broken heart for those he had created. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He had to suffer from separation from the Father. This is the most critical thing that he had to endure. Separation for six hours on the cross away from God the Father. That was a, the most horrendous thing in the, in the world to him and, and outside of the world. You think about it now. Let me tell you something. When we leave this planet, we're going to heaven or hell. And the difference is presence of God and separation of God. That's the most critical thing. And you think about the most horrendous thing Jesus was going to go through, even beyond being whipped within an inch of his life, being beaten. The significance of what he was dealing with, the separation of God on the cross was the most significant thing that he was going to have to endure. Jesus said that he would be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, all these religious leaders. You think about this. He's telling them, I'm going to be, have to suffer many things. I'm going to be rejected by those people who are the teachers of the, of the so-called law that they're teaching. I'm going to be uh, rejected by all these people, this, uh, all the people who thought they knew what, was, what other people were supposed to do, all the people that were supposed to be the teachers of, of, the, of the Bible, all these people who, who were leading people, but yet they were going to reject the Messiah. They're going to reject him, his own people. But let's look at this. But if he is truly God's Messiah, as the disciples had just confessed that he was, I mean, they said it. They said, you're God's Messiah. But if he was truly God's Messiah, then why would the religious leaders want to crucify him? Why would they want to execute him? Why would they want to kill him as Jesus was saying? That was a puzzling question for you. Think about it now. The disciples are human beings. 
There's nothing special about them other than Jesus had called them from where they were because he wanted to move them into something that he wanted to be. And you, when we look into Scripture, when we go on into Acts and look in the, the early church, they turn out to be some pretty significant players in the Bible. But at this particular time, they're just regular students of the ministry. They're regular students sitting under Jesus. But, but what was it? Was it not the Old Testament scriptures that promised that the Messiah would defeat all his enemies? When you go back, the Messiah is going to defeat all his enemies, uh, and he's going to establish his kingdom in Israel. That's what they were thinking. That's what they had been taught early in their life. There was something wrong with this scenario that Jesus was laying out, and these disciples were just a little bit confused. They were confused because they didn't understand. And, and the word we use a lot of times for that is ignorant. Ignorant doesn't mean anything bad. It's not a derogatory word when it's used as a flat-out fact that somebody doesn't understand something. They were ignorant to what Jesus was telling. There was something wrong with this scenario. This is not one of Jesus' parables. Man, he's taught us a lot of things. He's used parables. He's told us stories to give us a comparison. This is not like anything he's told us to this point. So far, we're having a hard time understanding it. This is reality. And he's bringing them up closer. Now, Jesus had taught them for many years up to this point, but it's about to get serious. It's about to get pretty dramatic. It's about to get to be a point where there's going to be some physical pain. There's going to be some separation. There's going to be some confusion that's going to take place. This is all reality. When you think about it, rejection and death certainly was not what they were expecting to hear from the Messiah. That's not what they were expecting to hear. Man, they were, they were looking forward to victory. They were looking forward to defeating the enemy. They were looking forward, I mean, the disciples will know who's sitting on the right, who's sitting on the left, who's going to be first when we enter into the kingdom together. All these things is what they were thinking. But now these words are different. So let's look at it. True to his character, the dominant disciple Peter expressed his concern for all the disciples. Man, Peter steps up. And he's speaking on behalf of all the disciples. Now, you think back to what we just talked about. When, when he said, who do people say I am? Peter steps up and said, you're God's Messiah, right? Same scenario. We're talking 10, 15 minutes later. Peter jumps back up again and says, hold up. He's the speaker of the house. He was quick to respond uh, initially. He was quick to respond in this situation. And he's quick to respond with a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen. He's quick to respond with this. Peter was quick to respond and, and when he was asked uh, who he was, but he was also quick to respond in this scenario right here. Now, let's look at this right here. One moment, Peter, Peter was led by God to confess his faith in Jesus Christ. One moment. The next moment, he's speaking like the words of Satan coming out of his mouth. One minute, he's a, a, a rock, and the next minute, he's a stumbling block. The Bible says that Jesus spoke openly about what was going on and, and what he had to do, and Peter rebuked him. Basically, Peter took him aside, took Jesus aside, and here's a, here's a key thing. It's, this is Kerry paraphrasing. Jesus, you don't need to be talking about that in front of your disciples. Jesus, you don't need to be talking like this in front of us. This is not something you need to be saying. Now, that's not in the Scripture, okay? That's Kerry paraphrasing what I, I just scenario. A, a human being like Peter, somebody that's dominant, taking Jesus aside and saying, hey, don't be talking like that. No, we're not going to let anything happen to you. And I'm going to go to the, I'm going to go all the way with you. I'm going to stand right, right beside you. I'm not going to let any of that that you're saying happen to you. You think about it. Can you imagine thinking that you need to counsel Jesus Christ? Huh? Can you imagine that? If you want to counsel somebody, you, in order to counsel somebody, you have to know more about the subject than they do. Amen? 
Can you imagine what Peter was thinking when he said, Lord, you're, going, you, you're just not looking at this from the right angle. You're, you're looking at this from the wrong angle. Jesus, can I give you a piece of advice because you might not be looking at it from our standpoint? Well, let me tell you something, church. He wasn't looking at it from their standpoint. Amen? He was not looking at it from the disciples' standpoint. He was looking at it from God's standpoint. And he was on a mission to fulfill the purpose that God had sent him to this earth to do. And anything other than fulfilling that purpose would be opposing God. Anything other than fulfilling God's purpose for his life, my life, your life, is coming from Satan. Now, it's a little bit delicate this morning, but that's what I'm telling you. There's a warning for us. When we look at that, this is a warning for us. When we argue with God's word... When we argue with what the Word of God says for us to do and how we should live, we are opening up the door for Satan's lies. Amen? Amen. It's the Word of God, and it's fact and not fiction. All right? Peter was rebuking his master, and in the gospel writings of Mark, when we look in Mark, Mark used these same words to to describe the Lord's rebuking of demons. These exact same words, what did he use? Peter's protest was born out of his ignorance for God's will, but it was also out of his love for Jesus Christ. He didn't understand God's will for Jesus' life, but he did truly love the Lord. He did truly love Jesus. He was willing to lay down his life for him. He was willing to defend him. And so when you take those two elements and you put them together, that's where he didn't understand what was taking place. One minute he was a rock, the next minute he was a stumbling block. Jesus rebuked Peter with some pretty harsh words. I mean, you think about it. You think about it when, when somebody tells you that that sounds like Satan coming out of your mouth. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's pretty heavy duty. That's pretty harsh when he, he used these harsh words. And Peter was stunned when Jesus was saying to that. You know, to be compared to Satan is pretty significant. Not only was this information that Jesus was sharing with them something they didn't understand. Not only was it a, a curveball, but now he's being called Satan. You know, you're speaking just like Satan. That's pretty significant, all right? Peter was not simply confused, but he had adopted Satan's way of thinking, which is involved rejecting the reason and the purpose that Jesus came here in the first place. Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and he was indeed the king, and he was entitled to every single kingdom uh, thing that, that belonged to a king, but yet he was going to die. But yet the cost, all right, there could be no glory without the suffering of the cross, and this is what's important. There could be no glory without suffering on the cross. There could be no way to get to salvation. There could be no way to to have a relationship with God the Father without there being a sacrifice. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, there could be no atonement for sin and no salvation. So let's look at this. To To oppose the true understanding of the Messiah is to oppose God, which is what Peter was doing. And you think about it, that's exactly what he was doing. It was because Christ had heard this temptation before. And we're going to do so, go back just a little bit. When you, when you think of what Jesus said to Peter, it's because those words he had heard before in his uh, beginnings of his ministry. It's the same thing he'd heard from Satan. When Satan offered Jesus the world in a way to bypass the suffering of the cross, when you think about it, Satan took Jesus up onto the highest point of a mountain. And he said, hey, take a look at all the glories of the world. Take a look at every single thing out here. I would give you every bit of it if you just bow down and worship me. It'll all be yours. You'll be the king. This will be your kingdom. And you don't have to go to that cross. You can get away without the suffering of the cross. And you remember all these things he talked about. Matthew 4, 8, 9 says this. 
I will give it all to you, he said, if you just kneel down and worship me. And so, Satan was tempting Jesus to take a shortcut to, to the kingdom without going to the cross. You think about the word shortcut. Is that a good word? Shortcuts can be good if we're looking at a computer, right? Helps us get to where we need to go. That's a shortcut. Sometimes if you're traveling somewhere and, and we want to take a shortcut to get there, it's because we get there a little faster. Sometimes it's not the best road. But, sh- huh? Yes? Shortcuts are good in some sense, but not in this issue. Not here. There's a, no shortcut allowed in this issue right here. Satan had been tempting Jesus to take a shortcut, and you, and you could take an easier path to get it all. Of course, that would not have fulfilled God's will. Amen? I mean, it wouldn't have done it. That's not the way God had planned it. Satan wanted to undermine Jesus' mission. Jesus was on a mission to fulfill God's will for his people. He was on a mission to provide a sacrifice for you and me. And he was on a mission to provide eternal salvation for us in heaven. That's what his plan was. He was not on a mission for shortcuts. You, You think about this. If there hadn't have been a need for the sacrifice... If there hadn't have been a need for the cross, Satan telling Jesus, you can have all this. I give it to you. You don't have to go to the cross. If there hadn't have been a need for the cross, Jesus would have said this. This is Kerry paraphrasing again. You can't give it to me because I created it. It's mine already, right? That's, that's the thing. Is Satan, then he's trying to give Jesus something he created himself. He was trying to undermine what he was supposed to be, what Jesus was going to do in God's will for his life. When you think about what Satan tempted Jesus, how Satan was trying to prevent fulfilling the purpose that Jesus had on the, on the mountain, these exact same words are coming out of Peter's mouth. We don't want you to go to the cross. We don't want you. You can bypass the cross. We're not going to allow that to happen. These are the same words. That's why Jesus responded the way he did to Peter. That's why he said, get behind me, Satan, because those weren't Peter's words. Those were Satan's words coming out of Peter's mouth. There were ungodly counsel coming out from Satan himself. Peter did not understand the relationship between the suffering and that went with the glory, but he's eventually going to learn the lesson. It takes some people a little longer to learn the lesson, and Peter was one of those. It would take him just a little bit longer. When Jesus rebuked Peter, he turned around and looked at all the disciples. He didn't just talk to Jesus. We're going to talk just a minute about that word rebuked. We seem to lose, use that word a lot. Y'all use that at home? Y'all rebuke something? Never heard of it? We don't use that word, but I'm going to tell you, let's talk about it just a minute. Peter, Peter, Jesus turned around, he rebuked all the disciples, all right, because they all agreed with Peter's assessment of the situation. They were all in it together. They were all brothers in it together. I suspect that this conversation between Peter and Jesus was not a quiet one. I suspect it was heard by everybody that was in attendance around it. You think about it. The definition of rebuking is sharp disapproval or criticism. So sharp disapproval of criticism is what rebuking means. If you've ever been involved in rebuking somebody, I don't expect it was a quiet conversation. And when you're criticizing somebody or when you're talking about them sharply or when you're trying to, to get your point across, I, can, I don't expect it was just a quiet conversation when you think about it. Remember how Peter rebuked Jesus for calling Matthew the hated tax collector. Man, when, he, when Jesus said, Matthew, follow me, Peter steps up right then and says, hey, You don't know who he is. You don't know what he's done. You don't know what he's done to me. You don't know what he's done to my family. You don't know how he stole from his own people. Peter rebuked Jesus right then. 
And the same thing looking at most likely all the disciples probably heard everything that was being said in this particular event just as well. And probably they were all nodding their heads, agreeing with Peter. Yeah, man, he don't need to be talking like that. He don't need to be saying that about us. They were all agreeing with Peter. They were probably mumbling under their their voice about this being some kind of far-fetched issue that Jesus was laying out on them. You think about it. The disciples had a difficult time understanding how their Messiah could even suffer and die. Man, how can the man that turns water into wine die? How can the, the man that can bring people back from the dead, how can he die? They're having a hard time understanding this issue. But when you think about it, what Christ was saying to the disciples, and you do look at it from their perspective, from a human standpoint, you do get a little bit of a, 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 a tr- tougher time understanding what Christ is trying to tell them. Jesus had called these men to follow him. He had made it clear that they would have to deny themselves, that they would have to take up their cross on a daily basis and follow him. He he'd made that point clear, and they knew that whatever happened to Jesus would most likely happen to them. You think about it, man. There was, there, was, there was danger just being associated with Jesus and just being one of his followers. You know, they had to travel a lot of times by night. A lot of times they had to move before certain things would happen. And it was always on guard. And they knew the disciples most likely understood that, you know, we're a follower of our teacher. We're the follower of the rabbi. Whatever happens to the rabbi will most likely happen to his teacher, which is enough for them to want him to not be talking about dying on the cross. You think about it when we look at that. If there's a cross in his future, there'd probably be one in their future as well. To them, that was reason enough to deny it. In spite of their devotion to Christ, the disciples were still ignorant to the true relationship between the cross and the crown. And there's a difference between that and there's a relationship to it. There had to be suffering to have glory. They were following Satan's philosophy. Satan's philosophy is glory without suffering instead of God's philosophy, which is suffering transformed into glory. Let me tell you something, church. You've got to follow one or the other. You've got to follow one or the other of these philosophies. You either follow Satan's philosophy or you follow God's philosophy. Church, there's, there's, there's a decision to be made. The cross had to be part of God's plan. It didn't mean it was going to be easy. It didn't mean that Jesus wanted to do it. But he did it because it was fulfilling God's will. Being a Christian doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But it's part of our will. It's part of God's will for our life. It's part of our relationship that we have with him. But there could be uh, the cross was part of God's plan. It didn't mean it was going to be easy. But without the suffering and a crucified Savior, humanity would be helplessly lost to sin. If we look in Hebrews 9.22, it says this. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness. The plan that God required, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. And disciples fought this message for a long time. I mean, you think about it. There were even some of the disciples that came to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday still not understanding why the tomb was empty. They still didn't understand a lot of them because of the human aspect. They didn't understand what was taking place, but yet they came anyway. They'd already been uh, forgotten what Jesus had told them. He told them on multiple occasions, not just once, but several times, concerning his death and his resurrection from the grave. He was going to the grave, but he wasn't going to stay there. Amen? Amen. Man, God loves us. I tell you that every week. God loves us so much. I can't tell you how much he loves us because I don't understand how much he loves us sometimes because it's so, so big. Man, it's as far as the east is from the west and as far as you can reach, but he loves us unconditionally, and he wants to have a relationship with us, and he offers heaven as a free gift. Man, it's not something we earn, and it's not something we deserve. Let me think about it. Let me tell you something. If you, if you come this afternoon, I'm going to tell you, the thief on the cross, he didn't earn it, and he didn't deserve it. 
but God gave it to him. And he loves us the same way. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8 says, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is a gift from God, a free gift from God. Man's a sinner and cannot save himself. We needed a savior. Romans 3, 23 says this, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is a barrier, man. It's a blockade. It's a roadblock. We can't get to God because of sin, and he can't get to us. And he don't look upon sin, which is why he turned his back on Christ on the cross. When Jesus became sin for you and me, Christ turned his back on him. And there was a period of six hours that he didn't, he didn't even speak to him. I mean, he was on his own. Sin creates a barrier, and, and, and we have to have a solution. And Christ on the cross was our solution. He provided salvation for us. And he provide eternal life. Romans 10, 13 says this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't matter what you've done. It says in the scriptures, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you place your trust in Jesus Christ. It says right here in the scriptures that he's going to forgive you. And he's going to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, when our time is over, and we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And eternity is too long to be wrong. We're either going to spend eternity in heaven with Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, or we're going to spend eternity separated from him in hell. And the choice that we make on this earth determines where we spend eternity. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. You will be saved. It didn't say you possibly be saved. It didn't say you might be saved. It says you will be saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I urge you to clear that up today. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I urge you to come down and speak to me this morning. Our deacons will be down front. You know, maybe you just need to come to the altar and pray. Whatever the issue is, certainly the altar is open for you. Our deacons are here to pray with you. I'll pray with you. This is a time of, of, of fellowship with the, with the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't a time that we just look around and see what other people are doing. This is a time when we reflect on the Father through a vertical relationship. And we just pray to Him and we ask Him to direct us, to guide us, whatever decisions that have to be made. I mean, if you're looking for a church, this is a great place to be. Man, this, the membership of this church is just an awesome. We'll plug you in and we'll get you serving because this is where you need to be serving. Whatever the issue, whatever the time, you spend this time with the Lord and let him direct your every move. Father God, I come before you with a humble heart. Father, I thank you for this, this day and I thank you for this opportunity to come into your house to study your word. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the life of Jesus Christ. God, I just thank you for the will that you had for his life on this earth. God, was for me. It was for the sacrifice for me, God, to, to offer up a, a chance for me to have a relationship with you and everyone on this planet. God, and I just pray for those in our presence. Father, I pray that if there's one person in the sound of my voice that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray that this day would be the day that they would come to know you. Father, for others in our congregation, whatever the prayer needs are, whatever they're dealing with, whatever their issues might be, God, good or bad, I pray that you would intervene in those situations. God, I just pray that you would continue to bless this church as we move forward to serve toward your kingdom. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.